Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, can tidying really change your life? Marie Kondo, the Japanese decluttering expert, came to prominence a few years back after her book and Netflix series. As spring is said to be the time to get clearing, I'll be meeting Vera Kyohan, a professional organiser, to find out whether we need to chuck everything out of our homes. I'll also meet Sinead Grogan, nurse and sports massage therapy, to talk about why there is always a workaround with an injury. And Coleman Nocter, child and adolescent psychotherapist, on how to speak to children about war. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm glad to say I'm back. I hope you remained a listener while I navigated through COVID, but I am back. It was never that bad, but I am feeling more like myself again every day. And I'm not stuck in the house, which definitely impacts a mood. I'm out and about and without the school run with it being midterm break. So it has been a good week. I hosted an online seminar on financial wellness with a lady called Kel Gallivan, Mrs. Smart Money. She made a career pivot from her long hours in pharma that were keeping her from her children to work for herself. And while she was transitioning and retraining, she spent a year of no spending in 2019 and she saved the family 28 grand, which is the equivalent of a 40,000 K a year salary. Now, obviously, there were sacrifices. She didn't drink, buy clothes. They stopped all food waste, getting takeaway. They'd friends over instead of going out and looked for more free events outdoors with the kids. They still lived, she said, and had fun. But it was a really interesting eye opener. So we talked about money stress, the constant rhetoric we hear about people not earning enough, the cost of living increases, inflation, we can't save the housing crisis and how they all may be facts, but people are paralysed to inaction. And while, yes, it's it's not our fault, we're never told really how to manage money, just expected to work it all out. But of all the scenarios I gave her, from being on your knees in debt and low income to never seeming to have enough or wishing you didn't spend so frivolously, it all came down to making a start, taking a pad and a pen, And writing down what you have, what you need, what you want, starting with shopping around, reducing outgoings and making a plan. I think it's all about taking control of what overwhelms us or simply chips away. The spending you attach guilt to, the passing of time when you said you'd start saving or some other adult endeavour. When we take control and make a plan, things change very slowly, but it's more positive. I absolutely loved her and she's well worth the follow. And this week, I went to my first gig, Damon Alburn, in the National Concert Hall. It's new music of his, inspired by his extended stays in Iceland, if you don't mind. It was all quite experimental, and I got lucky with last-minute tickets, so we were on the balcony above the stage, so spent most of the concert in awe of the people being able to play instruments. Damon himself sat at the piano, and it so fascinated me that he had gone to this place fallen in love with the landscape, bought a house there, stared out and wrote music about it. What a gift to have. I stopped playing the piano in my teens when I got fed up with all of the exams. So I'm going to have to force both of my children to now live out my failed musical dreams. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com.
And speaking of children, many of you will be feeling the weight of what is going on in the Ukraine. So if you have children, how best should we talk to them about what's going on? Well, I'm joined now by Coleman Nocter, child and adolescent psychotherapist. Hello, Coleman. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Claire. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. I think we're all feeling a, a sort of a, a heavy feeling to come out of a, a pandemic and feel like everything's opening up and yet we could be looking at something even more bleak and that there's such pain going on elsewhere in the world. There's been a a heavy feeling, hasn't there? And I think our kids will be feeling it via us. Yeah, I think I think the whole last two years, I, I would make it akin to a game of snakes and ladders. You know, you kind of think you're going along fine and then you hit a snake and you find yourself back like almost, you know, we were going along and then Omicron, we found ourselves black in lockdown. And then we kind of hit a ladder then of kind of coming out of that with the restrictions all being lifted. Um, but it's it's just such a turbulent roller coaster for young people. And, and again, for children, I'm just conscious of their lives being so short, like they could really do with um, a precedented time for a while. You know, everything is unprecedented, unprecedented. And like the pressures of climate the pressures of uh, pandemic and now global conflict and, and, and almost like war. It's just a relentless stream of fear and anxiety. And I can see it in young people. We're, I, the, the explosion of the number of, of young people with anxiety over the last two years has been phenomenal. And just when you think you might be getting a break from that, it seems to, to, to happen again. And, you know, it, it was literally a week of a gap between children being anxious about washing their hands to children being anxious now at looking at the skies for 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 fighter planes and uh, you know especially when the stories were that those kind of practice sessions were going on outside the west coast and things like that so yeah they, they really have had no break and uh, it's it's a real challenge for parents to try and moderate that fear for them so what is your advice then um I know with small kids, you can somewhat get away with it because it, it, it may go over their head, some of them. But I, I think you mentioned young people there. I mean, anyone with a smartphone can access all kinds of, of news coverage and be really clued in with exactly what's going on. So how do we mediate that? I mean, it's very difficult, especially with the mass media being the way it is. You, know, you can have 24-hour news streams. Um, but children are not good emotional regulators so the idea of you know being able to say look oh, i've had enough of that i'm going to take take some time for myself and maybe switch off which we all need to do you know you can't surround yourself in in fear and and, and bleakness all the time but uh, you know children and young people may not have the skill set to do that and you know as much as we want to kind of encourage people to be socially conscious and be aware of things in terms of younger people, in in the context of what they've been through already, I mean, I, I was just explaining in, in the newspaper column that I opted for, you know, a feeling of safety over developing their social conscious for, for a bit because I just thought they've had enough of, of that worry. And um, I mean, there is learning opportunities. You can have conversations with young people about, you know, what's going on if you have a, a grasp of it yourself. And it's oftentimes better come from a parent who's kind of informed than maybe a peer or a kind of a sensationalist kind of media outlet, but the idea of trying to help them to self-regulate and almost take some time away from it, um, it will need some parental involvement and guidance around that because, as you say, those streams are are, current, are always available. And what we know is, you know, childhood is shrinking. You know, the idea of children being burdened with these sense of responsibilities much earlier in their lives, 
means they're having to grow up faster, but they're not emotionally or socially or cognitively any more able than they were before. And so they're struggling with that introduction because um, we're just placing too much exposure at a level that they can't manage. So what language do we use when the questions come? I mean, I think for my young lad, I remember he was asking me, what side are we on? You know, who's the goodies and who are the baddies? And when you think of a childhood, it kind of, it's, it's kind of broken down into that level of black and white, you know, the kind of cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers sort of issue. And, and you know, it's, in this case, it's probably a bit more clear cut about who the, the, the perpetrator and the victims are. But again, you know, I suppose you're trying to encourage young people to have a kind of a measured way of looking at something or trying to create an awareness of what, why these things might be happening and, and almost the why will make sense of it because this is a kind of, a, it seems like a senseless conflict. You know, there doesn't seem to be a reason for it other than just power and hunger um, and greed. And so from that point of view, it's very hard to explain that to, to children without feeling that there's a great deal of injustice. Um, but I, I suppose I would moderate the, the sense of injustice to try and remind them of the support for the Ukraine and how the people around the world are, you know, even small things like changing your Twitter flag to, uh, icon to a, a Ukrainian flag or lighting up a building or, you know, solidarity with with that. You're trying to remind the, 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 the children and young people that there's good in the world as well as bad. And sometimes at the moment we can overfocus on on the bad and the evil. And that's, you know, we have to measure that and, and dilute it a little bit for young people by explaining that that's not necessarily reflective of the population of the world, if that makes sense. And what about the tools then to manage the stress and anxiety that comes? I, I felt it myself preparing dinner and I could hear the news on in the background and I could feel it in my in my tummy. As you imagine what families in a similar situation are feeling in the simple act of just being able to make dinner in a safe home. Um, and I, I was kind of leaning in on, you know, breathing deeply and, you know, that kind of thing. Do you introduce those sort of tools to kids for stressful situations? I mean, you can. Again, I'm not so sure most of us would be adept at managing that for ourselves. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm barely getting by myself. Yeah, I mean, I would be a keen fan of distraction when it comes to children, you know, and in terms of, you know, for the last while, the children have come to me and said, you know, that it's not the presence of unhappiness that has been problematic. It's been the absence of happiness. Do you know what I mean? So, with the pandemics and everything, it's been this flatness of almost a joyless existence and everything was pods and bubbles and distance and all that sort of stuff. So there was a kind of an anti-crack sort of element to it. And I just think when there's times like this, it's almost where we need to find humor, distraction, joy, even more. You know, we need to kind of counteract the balance. It's not always about, you know, taking the bad experiences out of life but almost adding in the good ones and we need to be kind of reassured that there is fun and there is joy and there's a capacity for lots of those things and I think children maybe understand that in kind of in terms of currency you know that uh, yeah I was sad this morning but I was happy this afternoon and um, it's almost important to kind of keep things as light as possible and again I just think in the context of the last three years it seems to have been a lot that they're dealing with and this the the fear can't dominate. You know, we have to have a sense of hope. And uh, I think as parents and the adults in the room, we have to kind of moderate the temperature of hope for them and try and bring, remind them of joy and goodness and those sorts of things, especially if there's a, a constant stream of, say, Sky News on in the background with all the 
the awful stories from one side, we, we have to kind of mix that up and, and give them a counter narrative to cling on to, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and try and limit what we are watching as well. I mean, you can keep abreast of the situation, absolutely. But it doesn't, as you say, have to be rolling on from the corner of the, the, the sitting room at all times. And I suppose we and, always... And children will take their lead from the adult. You know, so they're taking their cues from you. So... Um, you know, the idea of over exposing yourself to that material or watching it all the time or becoming consumed by it, children will pick up on that. They're sponges. And so from the point of view of it's really about trying to moderate our own exposure. It was similar in the COVID times, you know, where we're checking the numbers all the time. Children were, were, getting, were picking up on that anxiety. It is about trying to keep that a little bit more level and regulate that in ourselves, you know, as best we can. And anything or everything in us wants to protect them and keep them safe and hide any of that away from them. But is it important that we have an openness to discuss things when questions come our way or even if they they don't in case it's discussed in school? But then, as you say, you move on from it and you kind of say, this is what it is. And you focus on some of the good. And, you know, there's good people trying to sort it out. And, you know, we're sending whatever support we can. And then you say, will we all head out for a walk or will we play a game or why don't you do this? Is that what you're sort of talking about? Yeah, I I think you have to tailor it according to the child. And uh, we have to take temperament into this. You know, there are going to be children who are overthinkers, they're ruminators, they're kind of maybe have a leaning for anxiety and they'll want to know the details. In that situation, less is more, I think, from that point of view. Um, And then there might be other children who are utterly oblivious to this and you almost want to create some degree of social conscience that they're aware of other things in the world. So, you know, that chalk and cheese, and that could be even between two siblings who share the same gene pool. Temperament is is an important part of that. And I think we have to work with temperament as opposed to against it. Um, But, you know, there's where, where there's a learning opportunity you know, to tell them and teach them something about the world and humanity, by all means, take it. But be sure that it, it comes with some degree of balance, some degree of hope and some degree of context rather than, um, you know, if we rely heavily on the media to give us uh, information, it's all going to be sensationalist. And if we're relying on other nine year olds to inform us about global context, it's going to be dramatic and hysterical. So. The adult in the room has to be the middle ground in that. Um, so by all means, explain the complexities of humanity and all those things. But don't forget hope, distraction, joy, and trying to kind of bring some degree of measuredness to how you conclude it. Um, and then just mirror that yourself and your own behavior and, you know, your own anxiety levels, trying to manage them as best you can too. Really good advice there. Coleman Nocter, child and adolescent psychotherapist. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Coming up after the break, I go for my first massage of a sports nature with Sinead Grogan of SG Sports Therapy. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. This is Alive and Kicking, News Talk's health and wellness show. I'm Claire McKenna. You can email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. I'm not really one for massage. I love to treat myself and swan around a spa in a robe, but I prefer a facial or just to be left alone. I find I can't relax with a massage and often far from melting beneath their touch, I'm contorting around the plinth. But I do work out regularly and I'm always hearing that it's good for the muscles. So I brought my microphone with me when I had my first sports massage with Sinead Grogan of SG Sports Therapy. Okay, so Sinead, I'm here for my first ever sports massage. So before we get into that, tell me a bit about your story and and what led you to, to work in this area. 
Um, so I suppose I started out, nursing was my, my original career, and I did some uh, holistic massage therapies at night when I was nursing uh, when my son was small, and I absolutely fell in love with it, you know, I love the whole idea of body work and massage work. And as somebody who loved sport growing up, it was kind of a natural progression, I suppose, that I, that I ended up then progressing into studying sports massage. Because I've always wondered about massage. It's not something I feel very comfortable with. I love going to a spa. I love sauntering around all the therapy rooms. I love a facial. But when it comes to massage, I find it really hard to relax. But I have a feeling your body needs it from time to time. Why do we massage our, our muscles and our system? Well, I suppose... Um yeah, like our bodies really do need to learn how to relax. Uh, a lot of people that come in to me, they're, they're wound up, they're tense. They're, they're like, they're switched on at like 20% without even realizing it. And, um, and through a series of techniques that I bring people through, breathing, relaxation, muscle energy techniques, we can really gain length and relaxation in muscles through the massage techniques. So what's the difference between a massage you get in a spa and a massage you'll get with a sports therapist? Um, I suppose in a spa you'll get some general body work, general flushing of the lymphatic system and a nice rub down with some oils and that lovely relaxation feeling, which is really important, you know, for your nervous system to fully relax. With a sports massage, it tends to be a little bit more specific. We tend to treat uh, common sports injuries. We can identify pain, strain patterns before they become issues in the body. And you're working a little bit deeper. Um, into the muscles and into the nervous system. And this was in some way influenced by an injury that you lived with for a long time. Yeah, so um, I had, from a very young age, I had a pelvic floor condition and, um, and it really, I suppose, at one point I couldn't run for a bus when I was kind of in my late teens and early 20s. And I started to get, I suppose from that, I started, I stopped exercising altogether for many years, which really didn't help my condition at all. In, in fact, it just got worse. And I suppose over the years, as I, as I started the rehab process for that condition, I was also sidelining that with my sports massage therapies and my holistic therapies and really starting to piece together. Now, hang on a second. The body is amazing, you know, that you can, you can um, with a combination of physical therapy, specific pelvic floor therapy that I had, you can really start to feel and move better. So that, that's really where it, where it all stemmed from. So what was your treatment and end result? Um, the basis of my treatment was physical therapy, of course. Um, and I, 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 I was working with a physical therapist to learn how to downtrain those muscles and relax them. Um, breathing exercises was a huge part of, of my rehab and, I, and something I use still today, breathing in a specific way through movement to help engage and coordinate the right muscles at the right time, um, and massage therapy on n not just the pelvic floor, obviously, but on, on the abdominals, on the glutes, on my legs, and that's something I still do quite regularly, yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm just about to have my first ever sports massage. So. Should everybody have one, or is it if you're training in the gym? Who, who should go for sports massage? Yeah, I mean, yeah, people think it's just for sports people, and, and absolutely not, you know. People come in for a sports massage, and, and we're going to, I believe, work on your shoulders this evening, um, Claire. and some of that might be sports-related, but quite often what I, what I ask people is about their general lifestyle and what other activities they're doing during the day. Are you sitting at a desk, sitting at your computer a lot? shoulders rounded forward, hunched over, 
um, lo looking down at your phone, and that can be that can implicate a shoulder condition or an upper back condition equally, if not more so, than the one hour of sport you do two or three times a week. Yeah, so I suppose it's your general movement. Yeah. Okay, so I've mentioned the shoulders, because if ever I get any kind of strain, I do tend, I'm, I'm hunching as we're talking now, I'd get strain in my neck and across my shoulders. If ever I'm yeah. going to get a tension headache, that's where it's going to be. So that's what I've brought as my problem area, in inverted commas. So what will you be looking for? So immediately what I'm looking for is your posture as we're sitting here and I can already see that your shoulders are a little bit rolled forward and, and possibly what's happening at the back of your neck is, is not so much tightness, it's more that the back of your neck and shoulders is overstretched. Um, so it'd probably work and people are often surprised when I start working on the front of the shoulders for upper back and neck pain but I'll start with working opening out the chest muscles and opening out some of the tiny little muscles at the front of the neck so we can relieve some of the pressure at the back. Okay, so should I lie down? Is everything that you do, are you trying to do the opposite of what I'm doing? So if I'm hunching over, you're trying to open me up and I'm that would stop any injury. And open you out, yeah. Okay. Um, it's important to say at this point, because I know you're somebody who's um, not, a, not generally a huge fan of massage, um, but it is important to kind of point out that everything I do is in a pain-free way. I don't want to create any more pain than what you're already in doesn't mean that there won't be an intensity in the massage treatment at times, but it shouldn't be more than kind of four or five out of ten. Yeah, now I'm not in any pain now. I suppose I find it hard to stay still and relax. I'm always wondering, yeah. I remember my pals got me a voucher for a hot stone massage and all I kept thinking was, where are they going now? What stone are they putting where? What, you know, and, and you're supposed to just be listening to the whales and drifting off. But anyway, okay, so you're going to be feeling around the front of the chest. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm probably going to, I'm going to start working now on the front of your, your pec muscles. And, and um, I generally talk through a lot of the movements with clients because I, I find it helps them engage better with their rehab then or their exercises that I'm offering at the end. And most of the movements or a lot of the movements in sports massage, they're quite active. So I'll be getting you and bringing your, bringing your arms into a range of motion to help lengthen out those muscles. So you certainly won't be drifting off to whale music or bored throughout the treatment. Okay, good stuff. Okay, have a go. So we just, I'm just gonna hold your arm there and I'm just, if I can put my, my other hand, palms facing down on the pec muscles and I'm just gonna extend your arm out so we can lengthen the muscle, bring it into a shortened position and lengthen it out. Oh, what I'm feeling for is tightness and restriction, and you can certainly feel a little bit of restriction there, just in the pectoral muscle. It's so interesting what you said about so many of us holding ourselves tense all the time. Like, I think anyone who drives a car will be able to identify with that, that sometimes you find you're just gripping the yeah. steering wheel, and you're not stressed outwardly, but yeah. you do. we do hold ourselves like that. And we don't even realise... You know, for a long time, one of the things I did, and it was, it played a key part in my kind of rehab, if you like, I, I'd be standing at the kitchen sink, clenching my glutes. And, and they're hugely important in terms of pelvic floor and health and, and things. So it, the awareness of that was the first part and then just constantly kind of reminding myself, just relax, relax. What 100% relaxed feels like, I don't know if we, we're aware of. And would we not be getting that at night asleep? full relaxation, we should be. It's amazing how many people don't get a good night's sleep or they either, they think they have a full night's sleep but they're waking up maybe two or three times to use the bathroom or they're going to bed late on their phones, they're waking up too early. What are the common injuries that come into you or the common issues even? 
A lot of the a lot of the injuries are overuse injuries, um, strain um, strains in muscles. I see a lot of shoulder kind of impingement type syndromes in the shoulders from a lot of overhead movements, and that can be somebody who's doing overhead weightlifting or painters and decorators, that kind of thing. And is it something that you come for when you have an injury and then you move on, or is it something that if you're exercising or working physically or sitting at a desk that you keep an eye on? I think um, a lot of people start off by coming when they have an injury, and then they realize, well, hang on, if I, if I come to you regularly before I'm injured to prevent injury, it's, it's a lot better for them and for their sport and activity. So based on what you've seen with me and, and what you felt, what's your prognosis about me and my shoulders and neck? I think if, um, for the amount of time that you're sitting at a desk every day, um, if you were to just counteract that every day with some movements to it, to extend in the opposite way to what you're sitting at your desk like this, you'll find a lot, a lot of benefit to that going forward. That's so interesting. Hang on till I sit up a little bit. Because when I um, think I've got a tension headache or when I know I've got a tension headache, I usually think it's been associated with me getting stressed in some way. I never think about my posture or what way have I been sitting or how long have I been at a desk, um, and then just some simple exercises. So it's about awareness, isn't it? Because like you, I think we all stop what we're doing and say, I can't, and we don't actually do anything about it. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's to get, get away from that mindset of I can't, and, and start, especially around injury, and start thinking about, well, what can I do? And get really curious about what you can do, and just build on that gradually. Do you see many injuries coming from the gym? I know there's a lot of people now working out at home or taking part in really intensive weight classes now, um, and they might be worried. Is it really important that we're doing these exercises correctly? I've often thought that myself as I'm swinging a kettlebell on my own in my bedroom with somebody on my phone in the corner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good technique will, will for sure protect, protect your body from injury. Um, and I think probably the biggest thing that I, that I see with people is repetitive strain injury, where they're doing one type of exercise repeatedly over and over again. It's, it's that constantly varied movement patterns that we want. Our bodies are designed to move in lots of different ways um, and not just one way all the time. So if you're only running or if you're only lifting a barbell overhead all the time or if you're only cycling, you know, Yes, you want to kind of shock the body and surprise it and yeah, keep you want it to move active. In different ways and get really curious about what, you, what ways your body can move, sideways and bending and twisting. And why do we massage? That's something I always wonder. Like when you have done an exercise class and you're getting that pain in your muscles and all that build up, what's going on and what are the knots in, yeah. in the muscles? So, um, well, the build up of pain after, after training is delayed onset muscle soreness, and that's just your muscles have been worked to a degree where they're kind of strained a little bit and they need to heal. So the pain is there to kind of tell you, rest, recover, and then train again. Knots that build up, they're kind of um, tight bands of adhesion where there's, and there's little blood flow getting there and they really need to be worked out by a trained kind of massage therapist or neuromuscular therapist or sports therapist. And um, we do that with various modalities, trigger point therapy, um, dry needling, things, massage, various soft tissue mas mas massage techniques can really help work them out. And is heat a good thing? When you come home from exercise, is a hot bath, a hot shower, is that important? I absolutely love coming home from a workout, having a hot bath, 
And while you're still warm, getting out, doing your feet stretches and jumping back into the bath, it's a perfect time to kind of gently ease your body into recovery mode. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about the stretching. When you see people in an exercise class, and I know some people have to run to kids, work, who knows, they run out the door. How important is a cool down and a stretch down at the end of a session? Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're working out intensely to cool down and, and slowly relax and bring your heart rate down and, and relax the body down after a workout is really important um, and shouldn't be missed. So what would you say to somebody then who's identifying with this, they've got a shoulder, a back injury, and they've just counted themselves out of various things that are affecting their health in, in, in other ways? Yeah, I mean, look, if, if your injury means that you absolutely cannot train for six weeks, go along to your team, to your team match. Go along and support them at the very least, because the social aspect of that alone is, is worthwhile. But um, most injuries can be trained around. And I think that don't count yourself out. You know, I've been there and I've done that. And, and it, it's, it didn't, end, you know, kind of, it took me out of sport for a long time unnecessarily. Um, and that's the essence of really what I tell to everyone is just start where you're at, move what you can, when you can, and build on that slowly over time. Sinead Grogan, thank you so, so much. You're very welcome, Claire. Coming up after the break, Vera Keown, trained by Marie Kondo on how to declutter your home this spring. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. This is Alive and Kicking, News Talk's health and wellness show. I'm Claire McKenna. You can email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Can tidying up really change your life? Marie Kondo, the Japanese decluttering expert, came to prominence a few years back after her best-selling book and Netflix series. She began a trend of looking at her stuff to see what sparks joy and getting rid of what didn't. As spring is said to be the time to get clearing like this, I'm joined now by Vera Kyohan, professional organiser and trained by Marie Kondo herself. Hello, Vera. How are you? Hi, Claire. I'm very good. Thank you. So tell me your story then, um, Vera. What led you to, to start on this journey? Uh, personally, I am a mother of five children. I'm a nurse and midwife and I've worked in the medical profession for over 30 years. So I'm no stranger to chaos in the home and I'm certainly no stranger to working with people when they're at their most vulnerable. Um, I just found my life was a constant uh, pressure to get things done. My days off from work were spent catching up on the, day, on the days that I was at work. And um, there was very little time left for me. And I'm also a go-to person for family and friends, and people would often come and ask me to help them in their home to get sorted. But if I visited them again a few weeks later, I just discovered they were back to square one again with the clutter and the mess, and I couldn't get my head around why this was happening until I came across Marie Kondo's book and her method. And it just was like <laughs> a light bulb moment for me. Um, and I mean, so you had been in the same house, hadn't you, for over 20 years, like many people. And with five kids, I mean, there's going to be stuff, isn't there? There's going to be absolutely. sports kit, shoes, coats, toys, school yeah. stuff, then yourself and your partner's stuff. How yeah. do you actually start to, to break that down? You break it down in small categories. And when you're using Marie Kondo's method, you're doing it from your heart rather than your head. Now, prior to this, I would have been somewhat like a discarding machine, just moving stuff out of my way and getting rid of what I didn't need or didn't want. 
But this method has taught me actually um, about mindful materialism and about having what's important in your life, about buying less and um, about minding what you have and respecting and repairing what you have. So it has caused a huge mind shift for me and a huge change in habit. And it actually is a lovely way to live. So a shift of mindset then Mm -hmm. is really important. But then what are the rules? Where do you start with the attack on the house? Um, Where you start is by committing yourself to the process. Like everybody wants a piece of organization and everybody thrives in an organized environment. But you have to commit yourself. This process is going to take a long time. For me personally, because I was working and doing it at the same time, it took nearly six months. I started in our attic and our attic had become a dumping ground for everything we didn't know what to do with. Every broken television, every remote that we thought we might need again, spare cards, car seats, cots. After 30 years of living in the one home, it all came tumbling down. And even though I knew it was there all along, I thought it didn't bother me, but actually it really did. We were sleeping under that for a long time. So it was a huge eye opener to me just even to see what was in the attic. And that's where I started. Now, Maria Kondo herself says to start with your clothes um, because it's quite easy for us to decide about our clothes, what we like and what we don't like, what we feel good in and what flatters us. So she reckons to start with your clothes and even doing the clothes category when I work with clients, the clothes can take an entire day. So the first thing you have to do is put that time aside to do the job at at hand. The second thing then is you need to visualize your ideal life and how you want to feel and function in your own home. That was something I had never done before, but I knew I wasn't feeling right and I knew I was functioning on overdrive, very stressed with very little time off. So when you ask yourself how you want to feel and function, you begin to do things differently. You begin to get off that hamster wheel and just move back and look at the bigger picture here what's causing the stresses and what can be removed because the more possessions you have the more occupied you are so what does your house look like now I know people will be thinking is it this minimalist nothing around kind of house or is it just that when you open a drawer or a cupboard things aren't bursting out on top of you and you know where everything is Yeah, it's not minimalist. No, I actually love things. I I love everything around me. That's the beauty of this method. If you are a collector, say you love shoes and you have 40 or 50 pairs of shoes, as long as you mind and wear and display and care for those shoes, there's no limited amount that you can keep. But if you love shoes and they're thrown in a box under your bed, covered in dust, or they're out in the shed or up in the attic, then you need to let them go. Because that's no place to have shoes or books or anything else that you're not using or not needing. But as long as you keep them and mind them. My house is, first of all, it's a home and we live here. There's a very distinct difference between clutter and mess. Our house frequently gets messy at mealtimes, when visitors come over, entertaining and just general run of the house. But mess can be tidied up within half an hour and a bit of order put on the place. Clutter, on the other hand, is just unmade decisions fueled by procrastination. And it's a build-up that happens in box rooms, in the garage, in the utility room, behind the couches, in the playroom. And it cannot really be dealt with in 20 minutes. So that's why people fear if they're going to have an event at the house or if there's visitors coming, they're like, oh my God, how am I going to get this done? Because it is a big job. It's a huge job to get it all sorted. But once you have done the Marie Kondo method in your home, she says it's a once in a lifetime event. And that's true. 
because you begin to think differently. You don't allow that same volume of stuff into your home. You don't shop as you used to shop. You just think differently about everything and you don't find yourself back. Now, there is a bit of maintenance, of course. Um, but I've been in houses with kids and they, their mother might say, they won't empty the dishwasher for me or they won't do this or they won't do that. And the kids have said, it's because there's nowhere to put the stuff when we take them out of the dishwasher. All the cupboards are full. They come home at the groceries. They've nowhere to put them because the cupboards are bursting at the seams. So it's about taking stock of everything that you have in your home, basically. And it's interesting what you said about what was going on in your attic and Mm -hmm. you were sleeping underneath that. Do you think we underestimate the effect that clutter has on our our mental health? Um, Absolutely. What we don't realise is that clutter has a direct effect on how we feel about ourselves, our homes and our surroundings. Um, It's rarely recognised as a source of stress, but I always say to people, if things aren't adding up, just start, start subtracting and see how things will begin to fall into place. Because our internal world is a mirror of our external world. So if there's chaos all around you, wherever you go, there's actual chaos in your head as well. So um, as soon And as when something begin- is niggling at you, I suppose, it's, it's yeah. negativity in your head, isn't it? So every time you look at that hot press or you look in that box mm-hmm. room and you, 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 know, you berate yourself, yeah. when you actually do it, like you freed up your mind you're looking into that you're taking a towel out and you're not thinking that you could be swamped you're well, walking into the lift. box room and yeah. it's giving you a lift as you say totally it it gives you an actual internal lift you can feel your heart lift now when on my instagram page people say oh they love the before and afters and all the rest of it and photographs are great but what a photograph will never show you is the absolute elation that people feel once they have decluttered and organized their home the happiness in their heart and the weight that's been lifted off of their shoulders is just, it's just incalculable to say the least. Because um, you've I've named your business this, yeah. Enjoy Your Home. So that's what you're that's finding right. with the way you enjoy your house now and then you impart that to others. It changes how you feel in your home. It totally does. Yeah, my business is called Enjoy Your Home. And the reason I called it that is because I do believe it is one of life's greatest luxuries to be able to relax and enjoy your own home. Um, so, you know, when people come home in the evening and they just want to sit on the couch or maybe watch TV, but now they're watching TV, but the surrounding area might have newspapers or birthday cards or dust or whatever. So their mind is actually focusing on that. So it's just a reminder to you that, that your work is never done. You're thinking, oh God, I have to do that now. And, I have to, and you can't actually even relax to unwind to watch the television. And in some cases, you even have to move stuff off the couch to sit down <laughs> when you come in. So um, if you didn't have all of those things, you know, you wouldn't have the pressure of dealing with them. So people may be inspired listening to you now and they're like, right, that's it. I'm going to get it sorted. Where mm-hmm. do you start? I mean, I know you've said the, the Marie Kondo way is starting with the clothes and you started yeah. with your attic. But what are the practicalities you need? Do you need to give over a full day at the weekend? Do you need to make sure you have a skip? What are your top tips in, in that area? Yeah, I, I would say commit to the process, first of all. And I'd say for somebody who's busy, like most people, busy professionals in their home, they don't really have the time, but they don't realize the stress that's causing them. So for them, I'd say start small, maybe start in the utility or even the garden shed, just somewhere where you can make a bit of space to move things that are clogging up your home. 
a drawer in a kitchen is a great place to start because we have no idea until we take everything out what's not being used in that drawer. And even when I go to clients' homes, sometimes they say, oh, I've that bit done now. I said, we'll just take it out again. And more often than that, there's another bag of stuff gone just because they didn't realize that all that stuff was in there. The next time you go to open that drawer or cupboard that's done, it actually genuinely gives you a happy hit and it encourages you to, to do another bit. So if you're going alone, I would say start small, a hot press, a drawer, a small area, put a little bit of time aside. And then as you get better at it, put more time aside and um, just try and tackle bigger tasks at hand. So what's this whole thing about sparking joy then, Vera? Because I'm even as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking of a few items in those drawers of stuff and mm-hmm. they might not necessarily spark joy, but mm-hmm. like the, the speaker, the MP3 speaker we have, we don't use it all the time, but it's handy if we're having people over. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily spark joy, but it has use. Should that stay okay. or should that go? Well, do you know, you have to be practical and I am a very practical kind of a person. And when I even read the life changing magic initially and learned about this spark joy, I was like, I don't know about this at all. I had no idea even how to feel joy or what it was to feel joy. Um, but Marie Kondo said, when you feel joy, what it is, it's kind of a warmness in your heart and it gives it lifts your spirit. So obviously everything in your home isn't going to give you that warm feeling, okay? So there are things like phone chargers and MP3 speakers and things like that that you need. So you use your common sense. And if you need them, and if they're going to, you know, add value to your life, by all means, keep them. Um, and I don't go by the, you know, some people say, if in doubt, throw it out. I'm, I always say, if in doubt, keep it. And wait and see, you know, and you can give it away then after that. But for the real spark joy, when you have decluttered your entire home, using this method the idea is that you put things within your field of vision that bring you joy I mean I'm talking like a plant or something that's personal to you something it could even be a photograph it could be a memory it could be anything that's personal to you it doesn't have to cost money it doesn't have to be in vogue and nobody else needs to know what it what it means to anyone but if it means something to you you display it um, in a meaningful place and when you see it throughout your home it will actually bring you joy and do we need to spend money to organise? Do we have to be getting drawer dividers and labelling machines and storage boxes? Is that important to make sure everything is organised correctly? No, it, it depends on what level of organisation you want yourself. Some people want it all aesthetically beautiful and pleasing on the eye. Um, and that's all very well in a family with maybe one or two people living in a home and it can be maintained But more often than not, I reuse what the client has in the line of boxes. I reuse shoe boxes. I do buy product and bring them to home sometimes and people use them also. Um, So you're repurposing everything that you have in the home. The mistake a lot of people make when they are deciding their decluttering is they go and buy a whole load of boxes. And I've even seen boxes with like odds and ends written on a box. So you never put anything in a box with odds and ends because that's that's just clutter, basically. That's just an unmade decision of another card or another battery or a bit of glue. You only put into boxes what you really, really want to keep and then you can label them. Say it's ski gear or stuff for a child, you know, that has grown out of not to six months clothes or, you know, you can label them and put them away because you're going to keep them. But as far as random stuff in boxes, that's the uh, that's a mistake that a lot of people make because they buy the boxes and then want to fill them. So what it's ab- not necessary. What about your experience then training under Marie Kondo? How did that come about from you reading her book, decluttering your home and then training underneath her? 
Um, I read her book and then I applied the method to our own home because I wasn't sure whether this was going to work or not, but I wanted to give it a go. And it just had such a positively profound effect on us as a family that I heard she was coming to New York that same year, a few months later. I was turning 50 and I decided, you know, I'm going to gift myself this for my birthday. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to hear what this lady has to say. And um, it's been the best thing that I ever did. At the time, I didn't even realize that you could become a consultant. I had no notion of opening a business. I was working as a nurse. Um, but when I came back from America, having trained under Marie Kondo, everyone I knew from my colleagues, my family, my friends, they all wanted to know more. And I found myself then building up clients. And over the following nine months, I um, had to submit reports. And um, then I certified having done an exam at the end of the year as Ireland's first consultant in 2018. So... What an amazing gift to give yourself for your 50th to head off to New York and, and do that and have such a life change. And I presume now your clients, there's a whole spectrum of people to the hoarders that we sort of see on, on television. I often feel it's voyeurism in some ways because there mm-hmm. are very extreme situations of the way people are living. And that's almost like a form of self-sabotage to the busy yeah. families and professionals who just haven't got round to, to dealing with that hot press. Do you see see it all? I do. I see it all. I see it all. And in a lot of cases, people with hoarding have a whole lot of other issues going on as well. And in most cases, they're actually quite content, but it bothers family members. And people will often say to me, oh, my mother needs you or my son needs you or whatever. But unless the person themselves reaches out for help, I don't go there because you have to be really ready to do this. So I mainly deal with busy professionals who have lost their way. They've gotten busy in family life between having children, they could have had a bereavement, a divorce, a separation, and the whole lot went to hell in a basket in the house and they just don't know where to start. So they're my kind of clients. That's the kind of people that I deal with. Everyday, ordinary people. And look, there's nothing like it. Starting, like people say they love the before and after. I mean, what a lovely Mm -hmm. feeling to have. But look, it's tough work, but you are bringing joy. If people want to find out more, the business is called Enjoy Your Home. You'll find her on Facebook and Instagram at enjoy underscore your underscore home underscore Vera Keohan, professional organiser, trained by Marie Kondo. Thank you so much for coming on. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Claire. And thanks for having me. It's wonderful to talk to you. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Sarah Rowan, and to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. 